you had a good day? Yeah. Stop yeah, fucking with your chin. Seriously. Yeah. I know it's really hard. I just want to make sure I look okay for you guys. Yeah, you look sexy. Some all the angles time. are or that maybe you're, you're you're full blown naked on Zoom. How are you not gonna look good for us? <laughs> Yesterday I was with my friend tomorrow at this coffee shop that we um, really like to go to. And she was wearing this tiny little shirt that she said was her mom's old bra. And then she was going inside, going to the bathroom. They were like, Oh, you need a mask to go into the bathroom. So she lifted up her shirt to use it as a mask. <laughs> and she didn't realize when she walks in and she flashed three of the owners of the cafe. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Tip and Tail, baby. A casual conversation with professional artists. I'm your host, Sid Williams. Standing up is a whole different thing, Sid. I'm not do you feel good. Do you feel powerful? I feel like I'm on stage at a comedy show. I feel like you're doing great. I feel like this is going to empower you. You should try standing. We, should we set you up standing? Or yeah, no? let's set me up standing. No, it's too late. We what do you... We, uh, <laughs> Ian's standing and it already, looks really good. We already started. He looks like he's in a show. I'm recording, by the way. But I didn't see you stand. I have too much shit attached to me to stand. I need a desk. I need to set we, that up for a different time. We we need to get you a desk. Like a, yeah. we should just do the whole thing. Stand. You need to get a desk. Yeah, I need. I'm not just slumping into the couch like a like a like a slump. That's what I feel like too. Olivia, do you ever DJ sitting down? Yeah, and I actually really like it. There's a few DJs who actually request to sit down, and if they don't have couches, they get really upset, and it's kind of part of their their setup. And when we started doing the, like, during corona, I started playing at home a lot more, which I used to never do. I wasn't, like, a type to practice and sit there and play or, like, make podcasts on my own. And so I would sit and play for hours sitting at my kitchen table, sitting down with the computer next to me, and I got used to it. It somehow became, like, the way I liked to play, especially for live streams where we would do at my friends' houses, and then... It would be my turn to go play and I would ask to kind of switch the setup and to be sitting down and I got a lot of negative feedback. I was like, no, you can't play sitting down. You're playing dance music, like you're DJing. What do you think you're doing sitting down? Like they almost didn't want to let me and and I kind of had to push to be able to sit down to play. Yeah, that's that's, great. Yeah, that's not great. I'm glad you pushed. I'm glad you made it happen. Sitting down just transmits a whole different energy. It does. Yeah, it's much more calm. I mean, I think... In, in a club setting, I don't think I could sit down unless it was more of like a slower, I would love to play sit. Like now when I think about myself playing at festivals or in, in clubs, I do imagine it more in like of a chill out, spacey session where I can sit down on the floor. I love sitting down on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that before. I really like that. It's just like calm. Yeah, I don't it's need grounding. To time plus. Yeah, yeah, it feels really good actually. You bring up a good point like, music is everything style of music is everything like if you're playing something that is kind of mellow sitting kind of makes sense okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna get formally officially started i'm here with olivia palma she's just a fantastic majestic magical woman who i've had the pleasure of being friends with for a very long time olivia is a dj she's currently living in berlin we'll get back into her story but i want you first to describe what a dj is and how you make your music and what the kind of nuances and differences between producer and DJ, beat maker? Um, a beat maker? I'm not <laughs> sure about that. It's someone that just stops. <laughs> um, well, a DJ, yeah. um, a DJ is a disc jockey, which is the word that was actually used to describe DJ, which I think is really great. And not a lot of people know that. And a DJ for... Me, I think it's gone through a lot of iterations of like, what does the DJ do? Because the DJ plays music, it 
and one kind of creates an ambiance, but I think a DJ's job really is to create a certain journey that they can do with different types of music and different types of sounds and mix them together really beautifully. And this is, I think, the interesting part of a DJ that many people maybe don't realize or, you know, it's like, oh, you're just mixing music or you're just, you know, pressing a few buttons or, you know, playing music you really like. And I think that's a key factor, but um, there's so much to it of like, really, you're taking someone on a journey, you're creating a whole space and the way you get there and what you choose to play and what you choose to kind of have come through in every element of sound, I think is what really sticks some DJs apart um, more than others. Definitely. Your pace is quite unique. I thank you. Um, a producer is somebody who's actually making the music that a DJ is then mixing. And a beat maker is, I'm sure like producers are beat makers, you know, they're making beats and you start out when you're producing a song, like you start out making that beat and then it goes from there into songs and tracks and then into mixes and producers need DJs to play their music and DJs need producers to make the music. Where do you get most of your music from? I buy all of my music. And from Bandcamp is my favorite one to use because it goes directly to the artist. They take a small, like, 10% fee. iTunes I've started using now because I've actually started mixing in a lot of different types of music or wanting to mix in. Like, the other day, I have to, I have to make a podcast for a label in, in Germany, and it's giving me so much problems, but we can talk about that later. Oh, yeah. And I bought a track of, like, Pink Floyd, of uh, Fleetwood Mac. I buy all these other tracks you know, different types of music which, that isn't electronic music and what I choose to buy that. <clears throat> Shine on you crazy diamond. <laughs> nice, beautiful. Just because I made love to it the other day, so <laughs> Yeah, you did. <laughs> Solid song. <laughs> you know, I went through that minor like three year phase of only listening to Pink Floyd. Did permanent damage. I also went there and I think it's I think it's really important to have that phase and to really oh my God. Just really sink into Pink Floyd. Yeah, this is this is facts. So we're going to back up on your journey just a little bit to maybe the day we met. We'll start there. Um, also, we already recorded this podcast, but Olivia. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if like, we'll all get bored of it at some point. We're like, we know this. The first time, <laughs> we had some technical difficulties um, and Olivia ended up in. I felt I was the weakest link. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Accidents um, happen. Accidents happen. But we ended up in a restaurant and it ended up being pretty noisy. Um, and the audio was just not up to less than less than it was, Ian's. It was less than. It's funny. You were last time you were drinking a beer and now you're like post shower. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I already drank a beer though. So. Oh, nice. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna backpedal back to the days when we first met. We met. I don't know, I was 18 maybe? Um, and you were still in college or just graduated college. I just graduated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we were online buying kombucha at Wonderlust Vermont and Stratton many, many years ago, back before Wonderlust got a little commercially. Um, yeah, that's okay. What's Wonderlust? Wonderlust is a yoga festival. Olivia and I were both um, in the yoga music worlds at the same time. And we were just like two little orbiting planets that collided in line because she said her zip code while she was buying a kombucha. And I said, oh, my God, where are you from? And she was from the town over. <laughs> and that was that. And we hung out all weekend and kind of had like crazy adventures since then and have been circling these crazy wild worlds since and it's been a real pleasure to watch you grow and become who you are 
And you... It's just been... It's been so fun. I mean, we always get ourselves into just the perfect amount of shit. And also just the perfect amount of fun. Do we? Yeah, I think we do. Have we gotten into any shit? You get me out of a lot of my shit. What was one of these shits? And I get you out of a lot of your shit. Like, you flying to Vermont with absolutely no transportation to that wedding. (gasps) You know what I mean? Right. You know, when my box of stuff got stolen after the long trail and you drove from Jersey with all the clothes, deodorant, everything. I had nothing for at, at all for, like, the whole summer. And you bought everything I needed and I hadn't showered for, like, 13 days. And you bought, like, I think you even bought a razor with you. Like, I... <laughs> Not that a razor is like an essential item, but <laughs> I mean it is. No, like I just shaved my legs in the shower, like or just started shaving my legs again after an experiment of not shaving legs. How'd that go? In Germany, it's very common. Yeah. Whereas, like, we're conditioned that women have to be hairless, and here it's like you can have hair all over your body. But I decided through my experiment, I actually am somebody who likes to not have hair. It's important to know. You know, you got to do whatever makes you feel empowered and good. So I don't think we get into shit together. We definitely get each other out of our shit. That's a really beautiful way to put yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like supporting each other in what could be difficult moments, you know? Just two like, solid friends pulling each other out of shit. Exactly. That's so beautiful. So you went to New York, and what happened in New York? Let's t- start the journey there. Well, I graduated from college, and Wonderlust in was kind of the first place I went right after college, and it ended up being a very defining experience where I met you, which was really great, and we had a beautiful summer of lots of yoga. Like, beautiful friendship moments, I'd say. Lots of yoga, music. And, is that when we went to the Shaggy concert? I think so. <laughs> Free Shaggy at Prospect Park. <laughs> that was great. And the summer stages. Also, at that festival, I met Tyler, the founder of Runa, which is the, the tea company that I ended up and working with a little bit in New York. And then I started working with a cold press turmeric juice company doing marketing for them, who I met at a yoga festival mm-hmm. with you. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. So and then wild. I still ended up working with Tyler. And then Tyler and I ended up working on a project in Peru that I worked on um, for four years of my life when I was working on the was building a, a project in the Amazon jungle. Wow. And I would have never thought that from that wonder, wonderlust festival, so many great things would come out of it. And that it very much became part of my defining like 20s. Yeah. What was it like to live in the Amazon? Oh, amazing. So nice. I mean, moments of being really hot and just exhausted from the heat. But living in the Amazon, I think, is kind of unlike anything else. The style of life is very different. Everything. like You aren't even using cars that much. And... Music was always a really big part of it for me as well. Like in the night times, the jungle, the hammocks, it's softer. You're just surrounded by like the immensity of the Amazon, which you can't get away from. And I think you almost start to get used to it until you suddenly don't have it anymore. I'm curious if uh, 
like just like being there and, and listening to the environment around you, did that affect your mix making in any way? Interesting. Um, I don't know if it affected my mix making. It. I think the jungle experience in general has affected my mix making. In <laughs> <laughs> I like this term that we've, yeah. we've coined here. There is something, I think, like a sensibility that I acquired from all the time I spent in the Amazon that I bring with me through that experience of mixing music. Um, today, actually, I'm going to go meet a friend and I'm going to bring him some audio recordings that I took from the jungle with a Zoom oh. so that he can make music with them. Oh, awesome. I would also love those if you would be willing to send those to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Send me an email. You have my email. Send me an email. I'll share the drive. Word. Yeah, I have loads. Yeah, I bet. Sick. I bet. Oh, that's so exciting. And Olivia, you're Chilean, yeah. so definitely the Amazon is in your blood. Um, I'm depending. My family is like from Spain. <laughs> is that true? Oh, I didn't know that. Isn't your grandma is not Chilean? She was born in Geneva. My ancestors are from Spain. And oh, Italy. I did not know that. And yeah, and there's a little bit of Native American according to 23andMe. Oh wow! Which we think that a Spanish family member went across on a boat and then somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Which could explain. All right. Well, that all checks out. Holy shit! I never knew that. Um, did you live in Peru and Chile? I did. I actually moved back to Santiago as an adult to be closer to the Amazon because I was going from New York to the jungle every few weeks. And then the trip was one really expensive and I was working with a nonprofit. We had um, limited budgets. And then also it was just closer. And then Mm -hmm. I just started spending time in Santiago and it was really nice to spend time in Santiago and be there with my family. And during that time, my like the intensity of my trips to the jungle got a lot more frequent so i would go for two days three days and then i'd come back to santiago and then i'd go back for a month and come back and it's just easier to do from santiago totally and then in santiago is really where i found music and electronic music so you started mm-hmm. djing in santiago and then you got a gig that brought you to berlin how long were you djing in santiago before this, I didn't really listen to electronic music. I was much more of a kind of an indie, slow, ambient is, I think, will always be one of my favorite styles cool. of music. You know, I grew up listening to, like, Queen and ABBA and Bob Marley and the Beatles, you know. like It was just a really different musical genre that um, I would spend my time listening to. And then in Chile, I was on a road trip with a friend up to the... Um, Desierto Florida, which is a phenomenon that happens every year where the desert flowers. Wow. For only a little bit of time, for only a few weeks of time. It's so beautiful. And we were on a road trip up there. It was like seven hours from Chile. And she played me this group called Madanza, which is also a pioneer in a way of the kind of electronic music that I play and now a lot of people play, which was downbeat definitely more a little bit a little bit slower electronic music with lots of um, vocals indigenous sounds samples from very prominent uh, latin singers what's the name of this group matanza matanza m-a-t-a-n-z-a excellent They're great, and they, I mean, 
they're from Santiago. It's a group of um, three guys who originally started the group. And they would do DJ sets and then they'd also do a live. So there would be somebody singing, playing the flout, like an indigenous flauta. Um, it was such a great experience. And I heard this music and I never heard anything like it. I was about to leave for the jungle and I remember saying to a friend, like, wow, I'd love to have a party and I'd love to have them play. She's like, oh, that's super easy. They're like friends with their friends. Like, okay, you know, of course. And of course, like, I, yeah. <laughs> How it all goes. She said they were like a small band from Santiago, you know, I was imagining like a little garage band. And then I messaged the guy, he gets back to me, we end up becoming friends. They were in the middle of making an album, so they never played at the party, but he invited me to go see them play. And then from the first time that I went to go see them play, I made a friend, then I made another friend, then we made more friends. And then it just kind of became this whole group that was always going to see Matanza play in Santiago. And this is the people who like one then taught me how to DJ. And I'm not taught, I would say who like first showed me what the machine was because it wasn't until the next year that I think I actually learned how to DJ. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've still really learned, honestly. I understand more things, but especially even when it came to Berlin, like I, I did not know basic things. You know, it was like a year later, I went back to Santiago and, and my collective was doing a party in the south of Chile in the forest, 10 minutes away from the ocean, mm. really beautiful. And in this whole pursuit of wanting, you know, to learn how to DJ, I bought DJ equipment, which was very dumb because it was very expensive and I never used it. And <laughs> What did you buy and how much was it? <laughs> I bought a Pioneer XDJ that I split with a friend and I paid $1,000 for it. Nice. That's uh, a solid piece of equipment. He paid 1000 Solid. And then it would have been great, you know, and then I went abroad to Europe and he stayed with the machine. He said he was going to buy it for me. He said he was going to buy it for me. And then he actually broke the machine. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then I, no, it's fine. I mean, it's a huge lesson learned, you know, on lots of things, but... Yeah, I, I still have a hard time with it because he doesn't seem to take any responsibility. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, and I think that's an important thing that people in general just need to take responsibility for their actions. For sure. If um, I broke someone's gear, I'd be like, yo, my bad. It's, and then it's cash on money. Me. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then where would the follow-up action be? Cash money, Ian. Cash um, money. All right. So I, I, I forgot. So, so you went abroad from... so. So there was a Berlin, uh, there was a Berlin gig that brought you to Germany. Well, before that, I actually, um, when I first started like dabbling with the CDJs after that, I went abroad to EB Sun. It was kind of after four years of working in the jungle and spending a lot of time there. That was a really beautiful experience of an organic farm and my God, the beaches. Like, EB Sun, I think is one of the most beautiful places in the world and my heart like, really longs to go back. Mm. Um, but there I wasn't, I wasn't DJing music, but I ended up doing the musical creation for an Osho retreat, an Osho art therapy mm -hmm. retreat. So I was still in music in a different way. And I think this is what got me kind of understanding how important music is to creating mood and then how much control you have over that, depending on what you choose to play and how you can facilitate emotional experiences. Mm -hmm. Um and something I like to say now is that I really enjoy playing or I strive to play like emotionally provocative soundscapes. And I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not really like a dance party DJ. I don't feel called to having a full dance floor to making, you know, people go crazy on the dance floor. I think it's fine and fantastic and it takes a lot of skill and I have a lot of respect for the people who can do that. Hmm. But 
there is something for me that I feel much more connected to playing things that kind of like tickle your emotions. Maybe there's a little melancholy, there's a little bit of darkness and there's sadness. And throughout the whole journey, there's kind of this uh, squeezing and letting go of emotions and emotional experiences that hopefully at the end of it, you've either felt something very profound, let something go, realize something, or just connected more with yourself through that sound. Mm -hmm. I like the sets you create so much because often I feel rushed and um, I don't like feeling rushed. I don't, I like being able to move at my own pace. And I think if you're an artist, you have to master your pace before you master anything else. And I feel like when I listen to your music, um, really helps me like be okay with slowing down and helps me be okay with my own pace because you're so okay with your pace. And it, it is really beneficial in that way. So thank you for making what you make. That's beautiful. Thank you. Is there a difference between the downbeat style of music in different places of the world where like Chile or, um, or Berlin, do you find any differences or is it all kind of the same? Where I really think your surrounding influences your, and at the end of the day, I think a lot of what we're doing is like, we're creating culture, you know, as anybody who's an artist, who's making something like we are part of shaping what society is experiencing in this moment. And I felt in Chile, I mean, actually fantastic question because it's been a huge part of my process also of coming from being a DJ in Chile for the few months that I was there where the music is much more tribal, indigenous and Latin sounds, Latin vocals, Mm. much more like rhythmic and, you know, shamanic. I would even say the shamanic down tempo got to be very popular. And then I came to Berlin and it's, there's a lot of producers making really beautiful down tempo, downbeat, down tempo music. But I mean, you can take a song at the same BPM and you have, can just have the most drastically different styles. Where in Berlin, I feel like the downbeat is a little bit more um, rough, definitely a little bit more emotional with some melancholic undertones. You know. Well, I say shamanic downbeat kind of as a style that, like a subgenre that evolved in down tempo like in the last few years, where people have started making a lot of music with shamanic chants. Okay. You know, like even some of my shaman's chants I've heard in a club. One time I was in Ibiza at Wumun and Loom was playing, and all of a sudden I heard my shaman's voice. <laughs> wow. I was like, what? <laughs> And I was like, what is happening? And then I asked Lou, who was playing after, I was like, was that Guillermo Arrebolo? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did he take a recording of yours or did he find like a recording somewhere else? I'm not sure how he got that one. And I do have a lot of recordings of Guillermo and some friends have made music with it that they that's in the world that I can share you or we can link in the show notes. So he's, he's um, just like a very recorded person. Yeah, I mean... Yes, he has. You'll see when you hear his voice, it's defining. It's, I mean, even during a ceremony when he starts to sing, like you know, Guillermo started to sing, and it almost kind of demands silence. Yeah, and then in Berlin, the sound is really different. And when I came, well, I think also music 
like anything and something that I'm struggling with right now is like your tastes evolve, you know, and like what you're feeling evolves and the atmosphere of living in Berlin, like the city itself was also making me change what I was playing and what I was listening. And I came from, you know, I even now look at my computer and all the music I had from when I was DJing in Berlin and there's probably no way that I would play most of that music at this point in my, in my hmm. mixes or in on sets. I just don't feel connected to it right now. And in the first few months that I came to Berlin, I started playing really rough. Mm-hmm. For me also, it's just a new musical input. Like I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard DJ sets like this. I hadn't heard live sets that were, you know, this sound. I came from listening to like what everyone was playing in Chile, which is really similar, like Matanza, that's this, you know, very unique sound. And then the lifestyle, the clubs, the dancing, the hours that you are awake, how much push you need, let's say, from music. Like, you understand why people are making the music they're making in Berlin. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is kind of where I go back to the original point of how we are creating culture. Like, we are creating this based on our experiences, what we're taking in, what we're living around us, and then how that's being transformed and told through sound or through art or through graffiti, like it's all going to change. Graffiti is going to be very different in Valparaiso than it is on the side of the street in Berlin. Totally. Um, and I will say I am a little disappointed in Berlin. Like graffiti doesn't really te- seem to be taken so seriously as an art. Um, there's writing everywhere. Like people in Berlin just like like to write over any white surface or any wall or building, but it's not really art. Mm. Let's say or like a created finished piece. A street art's a complicated game. That's a whole conversation for another time. But I have a question. Can you give us a little bit of like an insight of what the Berlin music scene looks like right now, pre-COVID and then kind of during COVID and now that COVID's reopened or reopening of COVID times, the new normal, whatever is now? I mean, I will also say that in Berlin, we're very lucky to probably be living a very different experience than most people around the world at the moment. Um, we're very open. Mm-hmm. You know, I even played at a, I had a gig oh. two weeks ago and I played, or a week and a half ago, yeah, and I played with my friend Harry Charles, um, playing the guitar and singing and while like nobody was allowed to dance and they were actually told like no dancing and everybody wow. stayed at their table. It's like footloose. Yeah, we can experience these things now. That's crazy. Was it fun? Yeah, it was so fun. It was so nice. Oh, good. Yeah. But Prague and in... Some friends had some gigs in Prague and in Poland this weekend, and I mean, full parties. Wow. You know, and in Switzerland also, they're doing, a friend had a gig in Basel, they're really open, and they're doing open airs with face masks on, it's, it's bizarre, but people are doing it. Okay, wow. Has it yeah. drastically changed? Like, was the music scene just so, so different before COVID happened? Like, what was a typical weekend for you? Wait, hold on, can you hear the audio of the German in the background? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just wait a second. Are right. you able to translate? No, I can't even understand. I can't translate. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have an off-topic yeah, question. Sure, now's the time to ask. All right, so when you when you came from Chile to Berlin, um, how long did it take for you to start recognizing or understanding the language of music that was being played in Berlin? Like, how long did it take for you to get adjusted to playing the music in the clubs? I still think I'm adjusting to it, honestly. Because now there's like um, a huge break in the chain. Yeah, but I also think that the music that I like to play isn't exactly what people in the clubs in Berlin want to hear. Mm. You know, in a typical setting, I think in some settings when I play it, people are very grateful to have a different style of music. But 
I mean, in Berlin, like it's a historically techno-dominated city, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it still is. And now there's a lot of downbeat for sure. And it's, I think Berlin's also becoming kind of a mecca for downbeat and the producers that live here are unbelievable. Like it just attracts really good quality electronic music producers. But in Berlin, you have the you have the different worlds where you have the techno world that I for sure don't know and I can't speak to. You know, the Berghains and the Watergates and the, you know, the big techno DJs that, I mean, those are the only ones I really know, <laughs> like, that have vastly different clubbing experiences as well or that I can't talk to because I haven't been to, but I've heard and I'm sure you've heard also about like what Berghain's like and you know, these types of different things. But in general, I would say that the clubbing experience that I get to experience in Berlin is unlike anything else in terms of freedom and kind of the offering in any weekend you can have like one party, three different floors and, you know, wow. 18 different DJs because you have three days of music nonstop. What are some of uh, the differences, I guess, between club scene in America versus Berlin? I've only, I mean, even when I lived in New York, I only went to one club. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could talk more probably to the differences of Chile because this is where I actually started and going to clubs it's not something I used to do like I really like electronic music when I say it's new to me like it's new to me it's like, yeah okay it's not something I used to even enjoy right. going to because I, I kind of in my head I think I also just thought electronic music was techno or was faster and that doesn't appeal to me and never did because yeah, when so, you were living in New York like we weren't even going out yeah and it's not something I did you know it's like I would spend my Friday nights going to kirtans or yoga workshops. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my like weekend plan was yoga. Try and intensives. do nothing. <laughs> like meditations, you know, like yoga outside. I was always going to the yoga events outside in the city. But I went to one club and I remember I went with my sister and I was like, what is this horrible place? Everyone was wearing really tight dresses and high heels and looked uncomfortable and the music was bad and it was so expensive and I just didn't get it. And then in Santiago, I started to have a lot of fun at a club where it was just like, wow, it's so great to go dance to music mm-hmm. that you like with your friends and go to festivals and have good sound systems. And it was really nice. It's a very different experience to be at a club in Berlin comparatively to Santiago or any other place or Madrid mm-hmm. or anything where it's very free in general personal space is so respected mm-hmm. anybody's personal space is respected what you want to wear what you want to talk like how you want to move and it's just kind of understood mm-hmm. that you can do as you want you can look as you want you can be as you want as long as you're not infringing on somebody else's personal that's space. amazing i don't know if i've ever had like a super enjoyable club going experience <laughs> yeah um and it- possibly not it sounds like it's, I mean, in the States, my, on an average night out, I feel like I'm just being assaulted in my ears. <laughs> I, I find that the music in like your average bar is played so loud, way over like a normal decibel range that it, it really affects people's like, um, I don't know. It affects people. Safety. In, in the bar. Well, it's just like, I, my, my example is, is like, I can never hear anyone in a bar. Yeah. And I'm always trying to shout to have a conversation. So it's like, I'm, you know, it's, my ears are being polluted. <laughs> Not that the music is always bad. It's just that like, 
it's just played way too loud. And um, it sounds to me that like in other places of the world, audio level is taken into account. Interesting. Maybe there's just more of a respect for one people gathering and what that means. Like if you go to a bar, you, of course you want to be able to talk to your friends, you know? So it's like, there's a consideration there that maybe isn't there in other bars. I will say the club, I mean, like ideally when you're in a club though, you want the music to be loud as possible, you know? And when it's not, you can feel it. And then it actually becomes a, like a con against the club. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh yeah, but that, you know, you don't feel it. Yeah. Yeah, you just, you can't control it. I mean, like, that's also one of the reasons I think I have this voice. I'm like, you will strain your vocal cords mm-hmm. trying to talk. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the things that's like, if you want to talk, go outside. Like, I've had people mm-hmm. around me on the dance floor, people are trying to have a conversation, really tell them, like, kindly, if you want to have a conversation, please go outside. That's a fair point. Because in Berlin, also, like, what I found is, like, you're going to a club, like, and I do this too, and, I'm, and I've done it sober and, and everything, going to see a DJ because you want to dance. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want to experience that as if you're going to see like a concert, you know, it's like, it's a big deal in a way for me of what I found, um, you know, like you get really excited that this producer is going to do a live and that this DJ is going to go and you're going to grab your friends and you're going to go and you want to be experiencing it. And if somebody Fair is point. interrupting that space, it's a no go out. Like yeah. You're here to dance, dance for you, have fun with your friends, but respect everybody else. You know me to do that. I go to hundreds of thousands of shows and my eyes are <laughs> shut and I have some form of pants where I can put my hands in my pockets and then I can just be in my world so well it sounds so nice I want to do that I know I, to live music. I know me too <laughs> Olivia it's getting me painful to describe the freedom that live music offers yeah. oh it's fine moving on we'll push forward <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> Ian just goes to me. Oh. <laughs> I I. Well, you don't miss no, live I, music. I mean, live music. I have a. I've never really thought about my relationship with it. Like, I think live music got me in. Like, I was addicted to the first concert I went to. I was like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, it was Weezer and Foo Fighters in like 2005. <laughs> and I remember just like at, the next day after the concert, I was just like, I, I need to see that again. It's like, I have to go again. All throughout middle school and like high school and into college, I was going to shows like all the time. Um, and I think that like it, I I kind of just like lost the the drive to want to go see bands and shows live I was, I was starting to get like bored i was like i've just done this so mm-hmm. many times i maybe i just like need a different experience i don't know there hasn't been a band like i've really wanted to see and the bands that like i really did want to go see i did see and it was great um and it was nice in that experience maybe you need to go see olivia play maybe that sounds really interesting like what you are choosing to play these days um it reminded me i once saw elijah wood dj and he was playing just I think film scores and it wasn't like for people to dance. It was really just like a thing to like listen to. And I was like, that was incredible. Wow. I asked him, what did you just play? Like, what was that for, for a certain song? And he gave me this look like, Oh, you'd like to know, wouldn't you? <laughs> and he didn't tell you. No, I was like, yeah, what was that one track? And he goes, Oh yeah, you, you know, that's good. You didn't tell me. I don't understand why DJs don't tell people the tracks, you know, it's like, some people get very, it's almost as if this invasion, you know, you just did something that was really incredibly frowned upon. And <laughs> I find the complete opposite experience. When people ask me what track it is, I let them take a picture. Mm-hmm. 
you know, or I send people the tracks afterwards if they really liked it because it's music and music meant to be shared. And if someone's asking you what track that was, like that track touched them. It was very interesting. Olivia, can you go into how the notorious Berlin DJ club scene started? I know last time we talked, you mentioned there's like an incredible, sustainable, free culture in Berlin where people put things outside more than other, like New York. People put things outside and they become, you know, a part of homeless camps or just kind of rot in the street in New York. Completely. No, here is integrated into like the fabric of society that the street is one a place that you can go to to get everything that you need and then so you can give things that you don't need. And when the Berlin Wall came down, and this I'm hearing from a friend of mine who recounted the story that he heard from this woman that he works with in the music industry who was one of the first people who started bringing um, Detroit techno DJs to Berlin and started doing techno parties. But when the Berlin Wall came down, one of the two sides, and I don't want to say which one because I'm not so fresh on my Berlin history <laughs> as much as I should be, one of their currencies went up a lot and they suddenly had way more money and more purchasing power. So in regards to that, they wanted to buy everything in their homes new. In order to do that, they took everything out, put it onto the street and refurnished their apartments. And at the same time, as the wall came down and there was a sense of freedom, people found all of this stuff on the street and they used it to furnish these spaces that they were creating to party and to dance and to enjoy and to be what I guess became clubs. And it's something that you see in Berlin now in a lot of people's homes. <laughs> like a lot of people's homes are found with things that they found on the street. It's amazing. Or the forums, there's tons of groups in Berlin for things that you no longer want that are to give away. And I mean, you can see it. It's like one very handmade in terms of the wood and the architecture, like, you know, just stuff here and stuff there and some nails that hang up this. And then there's a tree house in the corner and there's a swing and um, there's a lamp that was found on the street and the couch is graffitied and, and nothing really goes together yet. It all goes together really well. And it just creates that space, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's something about the clubs in Berlin that is so great also. They're just so... Like you can feel and you can see the detail and the touch that goes into somebody who decided to create this little corner, even though it's the most bizarre little corner you've ever seen with things that I can't even fathom right now in my head or, you know, but somebody took their time to put that together so that somebody else would have a good experience of, you know, whether it's a phone that calls another club or, and it calls a festival and, you know, like things for you to put on and costumes or someone painting your nails under a curtain. Like there's all sorts of stuff that happens that I think really make it the experience. And there's no phones in the clubs as well. Um, And usually no mirrors in the bathrooms. Which is nice. It's super nice. Yeah, my last live show was in Heidelberg in Germany. But European venues definitely have a different feel. And also like Brooklyn now kind of has this weird like quasi-European touch to it, which sometimes happens. Not all of Brooklyn, but some places of Brooklyn are getting to be more charming, not super industrial. It depends where you are. Brooklyn has so many different neighborhoods. It's kind of interesting now because all of the restaurants are like seating outdoors. So it it is, it it feels more kind of like European, like New York City. It's like everyone is outside, all the restaurants. Yeah, I sat and I listened to jazz in the park over the weekend which was so nice. Oh, I just so laid great. in Prospect Park and this trio was playing and oh, it was oh. so nice. Why would you want to be inside anyway? I mean, it's, it's true. It's overrated. It's, it's like, true. Being outside and 
It's nice outside. Yeah. yeah. And it's even nicer to sit outside and sit next to the person you're with and just watch the streets and watch what's going mm-hmm. on and read the paper with your coffee or read a book. This is true. Um, I want to ask you how has social media kind of changed your relationship with art and how that kind of affects what you put out in the world and how you put it out in the world and well for me funnily enough like as instagram grew and i mean also probably my own personal experience in the jungle in the last few years that i used to share a lot more on instagram than i do now Mm -hmm. and now i found that recently i've started sharing a little bit more but it became that i would only share about gigs Mm -hmm. you know and there was all these other things in between that i wasn't sharing another art for me I feel is photography and it just wasn't something that I wanted to do I somehow wanted to like run from social media or I didn't see its point I didn't want people to know about my life I don't know but I disengaged Mm -hmm. and that meant also disengaging with friends with family with you know these people that uh, you mentioned before and I think it's just become kind of a weird game that I don't really know how to play I want to share things that maybe some people don't really care about and that's fine. It doesn't feel right to use it to promote myself, even though that's one, an artist in any way or any individual, a freelancer, a small business needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hard time looking at how some people sell themselves on Instagram. You know, let's say like DJs or things. I'm like, that feels so odd or weird or inauthentic. And my response tends to just be to not do it, mm-hmm. which is also kind of sad. Um, but social media is something that I use to connect with people always like SoundCloud. If I like somebody's song or somebody's set, like really liked it, I write them, I thank them. It does give us more access to people for sure. Like, and I'm now I see some of the people that I follow and that follow me on Instagram and how we interact. And it's like some of my favorite producers and people that I really look up to and people that I really admire. And maybe we're not actively engaging, but I'm thinking, you know, we're in the same world somehow online and that is really nice as well that I can share something that you know maybe would touch them and that they can I can be aware of new music that they have or gigs and social media for sure I used to know what's happening in the music world of like where can I go see this DJ what kind of events are happening Facebook I started using again just for electronic music events no I, I, <laughs> Who I was playing where yeah it's a very tangible tool Especially even when you're like trying to find uh, almost a ticket into places, like it, it can be quite useful to like DM a band member or, you know, if a show sold totally. out or just like to get your like I think social media is the first kind of layer of things and it can be like the first point of access. Have you successfully gotten tickets to a sold out show by direct messaging a band member? I have. I have not. Glenn has. I just. Don't really do. Tag the plus one. <laughs> I've gotten put on guest lists actually. Oh, I've been put on guest, guest lists um, yeah. because of relationships. Just that, a direct yeah, message. Right, yeah. yeah. But um, just be like, hey, you're playing tonight. What time are you playing? And they're like, oh, I'll put you on the list. Like, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even asking. That's I just amazing. genuinely wanted to know what time you were playing so I could be there. <laughs> That's amazing. I used to be on Nectar's uh, street team list, and then I knew a photographer that photographed everyone there and I was constantly on their list and when I lived in Burlington I went into every show for free and that was um, oh, that's it was like the best thing ever 
I mean, probably not for the venue or the artist who depend on that money, but for you guys. Yeah, for me, <laughs> fuck you. You start it. to see about, you know, like, no. No, it's like, I used to think the same thing. And now it's, you know, when you you're dependent you people pay the, the door, you see, yeah. you're like, oh, shit. True. All of this really, you know, it's important. It's important to support artists directly and venues. And Definitely. I demoed the person I listened to, Jazz and Prospect Park. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, so I'm not a total asshole for all the, you know, all the listeners out there. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I'm not going to say I'll turn in a guest list, I'll be honest. Yeah. You can guest list, I'll still go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you consider yeah. yourself an artist? No, I have a really hard time with that one. Why? Um, because... I, I I still I guess for me it really comes down to still not feeling kind of like enough or worthy or at a certain point in how I play music and what kind of music I play to call myself that I have been a really hard journey for me to just to even say that I'm a DJ mm-hmm. um, I don't really consider myself that yet there's such good DJs even though like you've been doing this for years. And you dedicate your time and your commitment to building a craft and also to living your life at your committed pace with your priorities and you commit over and over and over again to what you value. You still don't consider yourself an artist. This is not a judgmental statement in any way. I haven't known you for years. No, I I am. I am directly. I've only been DJing for a year and a half, I will say. No, but that's a really good way to put it that, um, I don't know, I guess also just the term artist I have associated to something and to somebody different in just my own conditioning that I would have to reframe and restructure and see where I fit into kind of the definition of what you just said, you know, it's like, is this an artist, somebody who is committed to a craft and to bettering a craft and sharing that craft with other people? Um, and then if so, yes. It is a really interesting question now that I think about it. Cause like surfers are, are artists at surfing, but like, they don't go, they're not like, I'm an artist. You know, they're amazing at the art of surfing. Just like you're, I haven't listened to your mixes or anything, but I'm sure you're probably really good at the art of DJing. Right? Or am I just spewing nonsense? I could get better. Right. I'm, <laughs> I could I get feel better, the same way know? because I feel like I can get better in terms of mixing audio and editing audio. I can get better at painting, but my objective is not to always get better. It's to like honor my experience and transmute things and... You know, it's not necessarily to get better at a craft all the time. Like, if an artist's objective was just to better themselves 24-7, like, that's no fun. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm just saying. I definitely, I, I feel in the camp of not really identifying as an artist. It's hard for me to, it's like, I really don't know. So I, I feel you. I mean, I also had a hard time with this, so I have to respect that everyone has a hard time with this. It's hard. But I'm over it now, so I'm dragging the ball <laughs> into the other line. I mean, you're, you're on a different level. Painting is so, like, uh, for lack of a better term, old, that, like, the association <laughs> of artist and painter are really cr- closely related. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Sad life, that's why. But wouldn't a painter also be in the artist category? Totally. Um, where's next? Oh, actually, for me, it doesn't really feel like there is a next. What does feel like uh, what I feel the most longing to do is actually to just find a flat, make a home and be in Berlin, you know, and kind of like really settle down, really ground in, get better at my craft in, in, in the many different aspects that I 
you know, want to express art, you know, through music, through sound, through, and through video, you know, production, different things. And to just have like a home, to have a partner, to be with my friends, to have stability, to have structure Mm -hmm. in this way that I almost think I kind of ran from and other parts of my life. And that's really all I want. I don't want there to be a next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to be here. I want to settle in. And I think that's the next phase of life is really settling into a place. With that all being said, and settling down is wonderful, being able to be grounded and sustainable in your actions. Do you think that being a DJ in Berlin will create this sustainable lifestyle? Like, is it possible to pay your bills and to be an artist? At the moment, no. No. Um, for anybody, I think, mm-hmm. as who makes their money playing music, even the biggest DJs and the best DJs, I'm sure, are struggling with this at the moment. It's not what I consider to be my main financial flow or my main like, career goal, you know. And I think this might also be why I have a hard time calling myself a DJ or an artist because I don't feel good enough to live from it and I don't want to. Mm, okay. And I don't know which one comes first of like not being, not wanting to live from it so that I don't, you know, that I'm not as good as I could be if I was like, this is what I'm going to do for my life. This is what I'm meant to be doing. And I'm going to be the best that I can be at it. Or the other way around that is like, I actually don't think I'm the best DJ in the world to be doing this. So I'm not going to live from it and I'm going to do it for fun and to enjoy and to share music with my friends and to share what I can give with how I can give it. I don't think you have to know that answer right now either. I think you do is what feels good for as long as you do it. And then if it doesn't feel good anymore, you let it go. Yes. Oh, I just got a beer brought to me by my friend Lisa. Thank you. On that note, uh, do you have any plugs or how do we listen to your music? Or we're going to wrap this baby up. Yeah. And there is one thing I really wanted to say, but for me, the process of being a DJ in many aspects of pushing myself in terms of finding the art and then actually performing for people and being kind of what people are looking at. The whole experience of the last year and a half doing this has been very difficult for me as an individual. And within that and all the times of going up to the stage and being really scared, being super nervous, you know, being not like fully enjoying the moment of like, you're playing music, you're playing music for friends. How great you're playing music. You love Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a, an, inc- an incredible moment of elation. That's been a huge personal growth journey for me that I think a lot, um, that I'm very thankful for. Yeah. And I think it's um, really contributed a lot to the person I am right now is kind of facing that fear every time and doing it and um, finding comfort within that. I still struggle with it for sure you know there's always this fear of like oh man is this gonna be good are people gonna like it man people don't like it people aren't reacting oh no i made a mistake you know like so many things that come also to djing on the spot which i think is also something else that djs really need to um, be admired for is like creating music in the moment you know and feeling like oh this would go really great people like this people like that it's a true craft i think Mm -hmm. that's um, it takes time to really hone Absolutely. Do you have any advice for um, younger artists or emerging artists? Doesn't matter if they're, you know, in their 20s or in their 80s. Play and practice. (laughs) You know, like play, just do it. Find ways to play for people. I think that's one of the biggest things. And 
play what you want because the minute that you start playing what you think somebody else could want or not playing something because somebody could not like it and it compromises on what the most beautiful thing that you could give in that moment could be mm. amen to that where can we find you and i'm on instagram at olivia palma underscore um i just started one of these facebook fan pages i guess you know what they're called <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of tricked into it now. Um, so if you want to follow me in there, I'd love more followers. No, I'm just kidding. I don't really use it. But on SoundCloud at Olivia Palma, and this is probably where I share the most content. Music I like, podcasts I like. I'm always sharing, liking, reposting things that um, touch me in some way. And I think that's always the defining factor of if something gets a like or a share. It's like, well, this made me feel, or how much did this make me feel? And... It's always like my barometer is like emotional intensity. <laughs> um, so SoundCloud is definitely the place I can be found most often. And I also love direct messages on SoundCloud because it's really exciting. You know, it's like it's an underrated social media network that I think not many people are on. So it's really fun. Hell yeah. Excellent. Do you have any um, like podcast sets coming up or virtual live sets coming up? I have a podcast that should be released on Saturday and I'm having such a hard time working on it because there's a whole part of me that thinks we don't need another just electronic music podcast from me because obviously there's feelings of like, I can't do what I would want to do, but also it's just not what's what I'm listening to right now or what I'm resonating mm-hmm. with. I'm listening to a lot of Pink Floyd and, and, you know, softer music. I'm listening to a lot of the national, like going back into this style is like, Oh God, electronic music. No, <laughs> you're like this quarantine has changed me completely, completely. And your music changes as well, always. And I think also as a DJ, when you're constantly looking for music, my ear is always on, you know, like in bars, in restaurants, every time I hear a sound I like, I ask for the track because you just don't stop kind of curating that musical library that you have you know it's what you have it's your art so it's like you're finding that inspiration as you go and wherever you go and right now my inspiration is just in different types of sounds and I don't know how to put that together in a podcast that maybe should be electronic music you know totally (laughs) totally 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 maybe you just do whatever you want and see what they say totally and that's what I think I'm gonna do just I think always starting and beginning there is a little bit tough All right, Olivia, thank you. I love you. Um, We'll have a personal phone call later. I love you, though, so much. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, Olivia. Yeah, it was really nice to see you, too. I kind of had this feeling, though, maybe the first one was better because everyone was, like, more excited about it. No, 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 no. This was great. (laughs) This was great. I think that we got into more stuff this time around. Okay, good. That makes me happy. Yeah, no, no. This was great. This is perfect. And I think this is, like, real. I think the market of this podcast is people that, like, I just want more people to do what the fuck they want, to like take space for themselves. And I think listening to people that do that is very encouraging. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think I I myself need to do more of what I want to do. And we all just need to do more and care less about what people think. Yeah, 100%. It's like we all just need to create the space for ourselves so there's space in the world. Yeah, completely. You know, less grabby grabby, more looking inward. But that's a personal opinion. <laughs> Let's grab me, grab me. Great. No, I love it. No, I love it. And I think what you guys are doing is so fantastic. So congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'm proud of you. You keep doing what you're going to do in all, all the aspects. And I'll call you soon. I love you. Take care of your face. Bye, baby. Bye.